men need to heal and coaching can really help that process to let them know like it, you're okay you are not alone right we're all kind of going this and i want to be that safe container for for men that you know, you can have a partner for years and not be able to truly be vulnerable with them and you can have you know a best friend for your entire life and never truly open up about your mental health with them with what's going on and it's so important to do that because that is the first step toward change so a lot of the clients that I've worked with it's been the first opportunity that they've actually had to share in a safe place and confidentially with another man just what's really going on with them and that's it can be a game changer Hello and welcome to the Three Uniques podcast. I'm your host Brenda Rigby. I'm a business and leadership coach and entrepreneur. I'm a single mom of two teenagers and a purpose-led believer. My mission is to maximize the human potential by helping you unlock what's unique in all of us and design a big life that leaves you whole, grounded, and complete. Welcome to Three Uniques. Hi everyone, it's Brenda back again with another episode of Three Uniques. Today I have on Zan uh, Gallant. Hi Zan, how are you doing today? I'm great, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It's so great to have you on. So Zan is a recovery coach and he has his own coaching practice called Gallant Coaching and we'll make sure that um, people can find you in the show notes. Um, so Zan, what is a recovery coach? How did you get into that? Like I'm kind of curious. Um. Well, a recovery coach helps people um, either discover recovery to see what what uh, opportunities are available for their life, and also how to um, really embrace life in recovery. Because you know, recovery isn't just putting the alcohol down; like mm -hmm. anyone can do that. It's just liquid in a glass, like doesn't right. have any power over you. But it's about um, really reclaiming your life afterwards. You know. Um, exploring your interests and uh, really just embracing life without alcohol, setting goals for yourself and, and moving forward with purpose in life. And so this is something that you pivoted towards, right? Like um, when we had talked earlier um, and you had shared some information around your background, uh, you had talked about you had been in one career path and doing that, and then you mm -hmm. decided to pivot and become a recovery coach. Can you maybe share with us sort of like what that journey was and why you decided to go in, in this direction? Yeah, great. Well, um, I'm knocking on the door right now of seven years of recovery and the December 1st is my date. Uh, Congratulations. 14th. Thank you. And, uh, you know, it's been an incredible journey in this seven years of, you know, growth and um, just relearning uh, how to live after all these years of reckless living. And, uh, I had had a career, I was in the same job for, and it was a good job for uh, 15 years. But the thing was, Brenda, is I was miserable and uh, I did not know what to do. You know, I was in my forties, but I was, you know, Googling local colleges being like, like seeing what courses they are. Like, you know, what do I, what do I want to do with my life? But, but I'm in my forties, right? right. The, stuff I, the stuff I probably should have been doing in, in my late teens or whatever, but, um, so I knew I wanted out, I was unfulfilled, and I was having a conversation with a, a very dear friend, and I was kind of telling her my story of just my recovery and that I had helped people along the way. And, you know, I went quite deep with her and she said, you know what, this is what you should be doing. You know, 
you're, you're miserable. You're always talking about how you want to leave. And, you know, it's difficult to leave security. You know, I made good money. I had security. I had planned on retiring at this job, mm-hmm. but I couldn't, you know, I was 44 when I left and I was looking at, you know, okay, am I going to be 64 years old? Am I going to look back? Like, what has this all meant? It would have meant that I had been at the same job for 35 years. And I, that was a really hard pill to swallow. So um, I just, all of a sudden, this idea came of like, what I really want to do is help people um, in recovery to make an impact, help them discover to see, see what's actually possible. Because when you're in active addiction, you don't really see what the possibilities are of a different way. And often it's just on the other side of fear. And there's so much, it's an amazing journey just on the other side of that fear. So I went into it this knowing, like I I left my security. I left everything at 44 years old. I I call it my midlife crisis. But, uh, you know, I I went into it knowing that I'm probably never going to make as much money as I did. But that's not what it's about at this stage of my life. Um, it was more about finding that happiness and fulfillment and really helping people. That was the catalyst. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that story and that journey with us. Um, cause I know that probably there was some moments, um, I can only make an assumption, but moments of like highs and lows, but overall it's kind of like the, the metamorphosis of a butterfly. It has to go through all those things to, to transform. Well, that's a beautiful analogy and it, it's totally true. I mean, when you, when you stop drinking or using drugs or, you know, it doesn't even have to be an addiction. It can be, you know, just if your alcohol or drug use is impacting your life in a negative way, if it's holding you back from being who you truly are or the potential that you could actually have, you know, when you first stop, it's, it's crazy because you've been living a certain way and you've had a mask on for years and that mask comes out Well, you're exposed to the world. You're all of these emotions that you've been, stuffing down or ignoring and they've been affecting your life all of a sudden all of this comes up and you have to go out and face the world whether it's at parties or work or just in your relationships without you know the crutch that you've always relied on to to make that easier and it's uh the analogy of the the caterpillar and the butterfly is 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 a beautiful one so thank you for mentioning that uh, absolutely. Well, now that we're on the topic of analogies, so I was checking out your website and I was asking you earlier about the significance of the sailboat. So for the listeners um, that may not have access to sort of a visual component right now, on when you open up Zan's website, there's this beautiful like sunny day mm-hmm. sailboat and it's kind of like looking down at the sailboat too. It's not just looking through it or seeing what the sailboat is moving towards, but looking down on it. Is there a significance with the sailboat? Um, yes, there is. So uh, the sailboat is, is, comes from something, it's a little known kind of concept in positive psychology, which is something that I really subscribe to. It's called the sailboat metaphor. And what it, it's pretty much how I work with people, um, because what it does is it positions you as the captain of a ship that is your life. And we're all captains on this journey, right? So um it focuses on autonomy. So you, you're you in charge, you know, your decisions and your choices are all within your control. So when we look at the, when I help clients, we first of all start out by getting clear on their current state. So like, what are their values? What are their strengths and their weaknesses, um, their goals and the other boats? So there's eight different elements that we focus on 
all relating to a sailboat. So there's a compass. The compass represents your emotions. So we get really clear on what your emotions are and um, the, you know, the, the steering wheel represents your values. So, you know, your values are a guide. So are you steering in the right direction? Are you living in line with your values? And, you know, there's, there's eight different elements, but there's, there's a video that I'm just finishing up, a, a short presentation that I'm going to have up on my website shortly that really goes into explaining how these eight elements, um, you know, are impact your life on a daily basis and how important it is to examine them and be aware of them and give them the attention that you need. So I've found that this metaphor works really well with men. So I have clients that have women that are women, but I really focus on working with men because men are quite underrepresented in the, you know, counseling coaching world. And um, I'm making a generalization here, of course, but, you know, men have are traditionally conditioned to, you know, suppress emotions and for fear of appearing weak or, you know, not manly or, or to, to mm -hmm. when you have these, but that's why there's an epidemic of depression and mental health crisis in right. men and women too, but the, the men aren't really addressed, but men need to heal and coaching can really help that process to let them know, like, it's, you're okay. You are not alone. Right. We're all kind of going this and I want to be that safe container for, for men that you, you can have a partner for years and not be able to truly be vulnerable with them. And you can have, you know, a best friend for your entire life and never truly open up about your mental health with them, with what's going on. And it's so important to do that because that is the first step toward change. So a lot of the clients that I've worked with, it's been the first opportunity that they've actually had to share in a safe place and confidentially with another man, just what's really going on with them. And that's, it can be a game changer. I love that. That's great. Thank you so much. And thanks for just, I think, um, bringing forward that um, conversation around men and their ability through uh, mental health and coaching and just, you know, the, mm -hmm. the impetus around your work. I think that's awesome that you want to bring that to light. Well, thank you. Uh, I'll just share one more quick thing on the topic. There's a, a man that I follow named Jason Wilson, and he's a beautiful man that talks a lot about this topic. But one of the things that he said that I always remember, because I was listening to him on a podcast when I was running, and he said this, and I just stopped because it hit me so hard. And he said, inside every man is a broken boy that needs to be healed. And I was just like, oh, my God, that is so damn true. Right. I thought about myself and almost everybody I know and even my own father who I don't have a relationship with, but just like, wow, there was so much that he probably needed healing from. And we're, it just hit me in a, in a way that, I don't know, it, it kind of impacted me when I thought about all the guys I know out there. So. Yeah. Usually when I'm in my lowest spot, it's like I can recall because I've done some, a, a lot of work around that inner child work. Mm. And it's just like, I mean, even now at 52, if I'm in my lowest spot or if I'm like, you know, exuding my anger towards myself or towards somebody else, it's always that, you know, Brenda at eight years old. Yes. <laughs> you know? Like I'm not, like I'm just a little bit taller <laughs> and a little bit older, but it's still like Brenda at eight years old. You know, what did I need back then? What did I not have? You know, was it a hug? Was it like, you're going to be okay? And even if you're feeling all these things, like it's okay to feel those things versus 
you know, I probably got a lot more of the messaging of like, don't cry. Like, it's all right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I know you fell off your bike and you skinned your knee, but don't cry. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. actually, no, it, it hurts. Like, I, I want to cry. Well, well, we have tear ducts for a reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah. it, it releases stress when you, when you can tap into whether it's physical pain or emotional pain. And mm-hmm. it, it's fascinating that, you know, a word that somebody said to us when we were a child can you know, it hold us like an anchor sometimes, whether it's a parent or like if you were bullied or, you know, the thing your boyfriend or girlfriend said to you when you were just starting dating that just stings and kind of has impacted you going forward in your other relationships. It's mm-hmm. quite fascinating. So, but doing the work to to heal this is, um, it's so important. Yeah. And then on top of this work that you're doing for yourself and for others, you're also a marathon runner. Yeah, and yeah, I've, I've gone into ultra marathons, which is, yeah. uh, you know, anything 50 kilometers or more. Wow. Um, I'm not good at it, I'll say that. Uh, people have this image of me just like running through the forest, and there's a lot of <laughs> huffing and puffing and doubling over and just swearing and cursing and kicking rocks. And, right. I'm, not, I'm not awesome at it. I always say I'm average at that. So, but it's, uh, it's been a huge part of my life in recovery, a huge factor in my recovery. And it's something that I love despite uh, the suffering that's involved with it because it is damn hard to, you know, people always say like, I've heard people say like, you know, it's so brave to do these races or it's so brave to take on these challenges. But the, I say that the real bravery is in the months leading up to it, like getting up in the, <laughs> right. at ungodly hours to go out in the pitch black and to train and put yourself through this physical pain and, uh, Sometimes you wonder what you're doing it for, but that's where the real, real bravery is in, in those hours. Not yet. the race is the celebration. Right. Yeah. Like you've done, you've done the work and this is something that you can like enjoy and, and revel in. So that's true. I, I don't know if enjoy is the word, but, okay. uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe not. but it's something that you accomplish. It's the crossing that finish line is what you've been working for months. <laughs> right. My biggest race that I had done was 80 kilometers and that one, you know, I trained for it for like nine months. So crossing that line and it took me 14 hours and 22 minutes to finish. So that's a a huge, significant portion of a day. And, uh, but yeah, crossing that line that makes it worth it, but it's, you know, the marathon running, you know, what it does is it provides focus for me and I need that in recovery because I've got a crazy mind that can't rely on alcohol or drugs to, you know, I was a drug user as well. Mm-hmm. So the running provides focus. And um, I heard something once that really struck me and what it is, any kind of ultra marathon running, because they take place in the mountains too, but what it is, is summed up is just, it's suffering in beautiful places. <laughs> and, right. and that's what it truly is because I've seen, you know, we're so blessed to live in Vancouver, but like from here to Squamish and Whistler, just on off the highway, we've got these beautiful mountains, but on the other side of those mountains, it's so beautiful out there. And you can see this with your own two legs can carry you to these places that are incredible and so close to us. And, you know, mm-hmm. often I, I say sometimes that running is a teacher because it teaches you what you're made of. And it, it's never like, oh, I don't love it all the time. Most of the time I hate it. And oftentimes I just sit there and I just stare at my shoes and I'm like, I don't want to. I don't want to effing go for a run today. Like it's the last thing I want to do. And I just stare at my shoes and I have to work myself up. But never once have I gone for a run and regretted it. Right. Every time, every time you come back, it's like, 
oh, yeah, that cleared my head. I feel better now. And now I can continue on with my day because I usually do it first thing in the morning too. But right. Yeah, it's a big part of my life. It's a huge part of my recovery. You have to uh, find focus, find something to, you know, achieve or, or reach for in recovery. So. I love that. Thanks for sharing that. Hi friends, it's Brenda here. I hope you're enjoying our podcast guest today on the Three Uniques podcast. I wanted to interrupt the interview for a couple seconds to let you know about Aligned AF. Aligned AF is my 12 month coaching experience for leaders and entrepreneurs up to big goals in their life, ready to step into their three uniques and fully aligning their life to their purpose. Imagine yourself living an intentional values driven life that aligns all domains professional, personal, health, wealth, and community impact. You're generating a six-figure and a multi-six-figure business within your first year. You're learning to love every failure and approaching new goals with possibility, energy, and love. You're unlocking your potential and overcoming your limiting beliefs in a short period of time. And you're shifting yourself from looking ahead to looking within to consider your choices, your values, and most of all, your purpose. You're identifying barriers, examining their origins, and recognizing and celebrating the range of unique skills and experiences you possess to propel you forward. You're building healthy relationships and routines, setting boundaries around the things, people, ideas that drain you without feeling guilty. If you're interested in learning more about Aligned AF, my 12-month coaching experience for leaders and entrepreneurs, check out 3uniques.com for more details on the Aligned AF coaching experience or other coaching experiences and working with me. Take care, everyone. And now back to our guest. And then you're here today also to uh, share your 3uniques with us. Yeah, this was a great uh, question that you asked. Um, okay. Your guest. So um, I just came up with a couple just simple words. Um, there are some things I, the first thing, the first one was uh, when I was thinking about it, when you first asked, I was with my, my partner and I asked her, what's the first thing that you think is unique about me? And she said, well, you are more of an encourager that I've ever met in my life. So I think that one of my uniques would be that I'm, I'm an encourager. And I believe that this comes from perhaps, you know, I was a hockey player growing up. And uh, so there's a lot of team sports kind of, you know, you encourage your teammates, you're all in this together kind of thing. And you, you know, can achieve great things when you, when you work together. But I get really enthusiastic when people want to take on a challenge or have like a change for the better because I really believe in like human potential and, you know, whether this is helping people in recovery, um, I really have encouraged my friends and, and, you know, even strangers to explore recovery. And, and this could be with running or, you know, I've got, uh, right before COVID started, I was sitting around and I love stand-up comedy and I was just like, you know what? I think I'm going to give this a try. So <laughs> no experience whatsoever. And I have a coworker who's a hilarious guy, really witty. And I was telling him, I'm like, why don't we do this together? Like, let's go just start hitting open mics around town. Let's write oh, really? up. And, oh my God. It was a, it was humbling because you're standing on a stage and you're telling your best jokes and you're just staring at faces, no laughter. And like, but 
I encouraged him to do it and he did it with me. And at the end of the day, well, you know, we, we ended up doing a show at Yuck Yuck and, uh, no him and, I, and at the end of the day, you know, when, when our lives are over and it's all said and done, when you look back, I can say like, well, you know what? I did a show at Yuck Yuck. So, and I encouraged him to do it with me. And it was a great moment for him too, just for us to do this. All of these sort of things led to, led to coaching, but I do think, yeah, I encourage people, uh, to take chances and to, you know, leave their comfort zone. Great things are outside of that zone. Yeah, that's amazing. What a great learning experience for both of you. Um, <laughs> it was a learning experience. <laughs> um, and what's your second unique? Um, I think that I, I just had that I'm an adventurer and, uh, Adventure can mean many things, but I feel it's always been a part of my life. You know, I grew up in a really small town in the East Kootenays, but I actually grew up outside of the, that small town in the country. And when we were kids, we used to just go all day long with mm -hmm. no food, no water. God, I don't know how our parents let us do it because <laughs> we'd be gone for all day out in the woods. We'd just follow the river as far as it would go and build forts and all these sorts of things. But, you know, growing up in this small town, you know, I always knew that there was something more out there. And I have a lot of friends that, you know, never left the town or the area and, and they're happy. And, you know, but for me, I always kind of wanted to, like, what is out there in the world? Mm -hmm. um, so this led to me moving to London, England, just on the, on the spur of a thought of just like, I moved to London, England when I was 22, I believe, or 23. And I lived there for five years. And it was, you know, backpacking around Europe, you know, I was quite poor at times. So you had, to, it was, it was always an adventure. You know, I, mm -hmm. I broke up with my girlfriend there at one point and had, and I just quit my job and I just said, you know what, I'm moving to Edinburgh just, and I was on a bus the next day and I'd never been to Edinburgh, Scotland. I didn't know what was there. I just <laughs> threw my stuff and got on a bus and away I went. You know, so I, I distinctly remember saying to people throughout my life, like, come on, it'll be an adventure. So whether it was like, you know, let's go get more booze or drugs or let's go to this other party or when I was in England, it'd be like, you know, let's go down to Trafalgar Square at seven in the morning and jump in the fountains, which actually happened. It was always just like, let's go find the next thing. You know, this is, you know, I traveled the world in search of wild, drunken adventures and found them. But right. it's important to note too that I thought that a lot of this would end in recovery. Like mm -hmm. there's a lot of fear of just like, well, my life's over now. Like it's going to be boring. That is so not the case because it's just changed. And the adventures I seek now are different. So my adventures are like we talked about, they're in the mountains. They're doing, you know, these races, these crazy distances. And, you know, mm -hmm. I, I remember going to, to Las Vegas with my ex-girlfriend, my first trip to Vegas in recovery. You know, I used to go to Vegas and, I'd only remember the plane trip down and the plane ride back and it was wild and out of control. And we went to Vegas sober and, you know, we got up at like four in the morning and rented a car and drove to the Grand Canyon and yeah. like 10 kilometers down to the bottom and got back and came back and dropped the car off at midnight. That was our day. And it was just like, I would have never done that if I was drinking in Vegas. Like, so it's just, the adventures have just changed, but it's always been something that I seek and, you know, encourage others to seek as well. Amazing. Um, and your third unique? Oh, yes. So um, the third unique that I thought of is one thing that's kind of a theme in my life is resiliency. So I just thought, you know, I am resilient. Um, you know, like, like most people, I've been knocked down many times. I've been in the storm. 
mm-hmm. and came out the other side. I remember hearing once that, you know, calm seas don't make a skilled sailor. So, you know, there's been a story of there's been trauma, tragedy, there's been injury and personal crisis. It's just like every other life out there. But I think resiliency is just more than mental toughness. It's really the the work you have to put in to, you know, to examine yourself and work through the pain and suffering and just keep going, right? So and this could come in many ways. Like, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, you know, I didn't have, I had an absentee father growing up. Well, this has led me to try and be the best dad that I have, that I can be because I have a one child. He's a teenager. I'm the solo dad of him. Um, his mom's not in the picture. And he's a real huge challenge, as a lot of teenagers are. But, you know, it's uh, being resilient has got me through that. It's been through running you know when you set out to train for an ultra marathon you're going to be going through storms injuries wipeouts i've been covered in mud i've fallen in creeks all of these sorts of things but when you finish that race like we talked about you can look back at all the challenges that you overcame through there right and you know resiliency can be you know i'm twice divorced um you know but i never gave up on finding love again which i have found now and what it comes down to, Brenda, I think with resiliency is, and this is one thing that I really try to coach people on is, you know, you know, in life, you're not always responsible for everything that happens to you, but you're 100% responsible for how you respond to it. So we all have bad shit happen, but do you let it defeat you to the point where you become a victim to that thing? Or do you get up, dust off, and try again and just keep going? Because that's what... Uh, that's what really resilient people do. And that's how you can overcome whatever, whatever storm life throws at <laughs> Thanks for sharing, um, Zan, your three uniques. I'm just, I'm, I'm hearing like a constant theme throughout all of it between the encourager, the adventurer, the resiliency. Mm-hmm. Um, has there been someone in your life that's been that mentor or that guide or that coach for you that's helped bring that out in you? Um, to just be able to put yourself out there? Um, well, that when, that's a great question. And when I think about it, there's been plenty over the years. You could go back to, you know, hockey coaches could teach you resiliency. There's, um, that in my case anyways, or any coach. Because, you know, sometimes people, I never had one, but some people just have that teacher that just really connected with them and encouraged them to, Right. Unfortunately, I never did. Maybe that's why I barely graduated high school. But <laughs> um, th- there's just been a lot of people. I'm very fortunate that I have great friends in this world. A lot of them that I've had since I was a kid, and um, and even some new ones that have just been there for me when I've needed them the most. You know, there's points when your life really kicks your ass, and I've I'm so fortunate that I have dear friends that have caught me when I needed and and reached out a hand right. and, and helped. So, and, and currently, you know, I'm, I have a very supportive partner that I love very much and uh, she inspires me. And um, so that, that currently, currently that, that's a real source of inspiration. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're feeling unfocused or overwhelmed, what's your kind of go-to tactic? Oh God. Uh, well, one of the things we've talked about is just going for a run. The run, yeah. Or going for going to the gym, whatever it is, just that physical outlet. I almost need it. Like I, 
I run almost every single day, even if it's short or long or whatever, but like I just put on my headphones and I just got to go to that place um, to, to challenge myself, to just put myself through a little bit of suffering because it reminds you of who you are. Um, the other thing that I do that really helps me is I do Wim Hof breathing. I don't know if you're familiar with Wim Hof, but it's a breathing style where you actually hold your breath. So you do breath, hold, breath holds, mm -hmm. which I thought was just crazy voodoo for a long time, but I started doing it. And I've actually, my longest one, I held my breath for three minutes and 15 seconds. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So you go into this weird space of it's kind of meditation and it's kind of, uh, you know, pushing yourself and pushing mm -hmm. yourself, but you're just laying there, not breathing. And it takes a while to get to that point. Um, but that really helps me focus. And just, you know, we live such chaotic lives. We're surrounded by, I mean, I'm like everyone else. I'm addicted to my phone. I'm out here doing all these things. But just to take those moments to just lay in silence and just do this breathing, hold your breath, and just let every thought out for that period of time is just, uh, it's a great way to start the day, which I do that often. Amazing. Thanks for sharing that. And Zan, if I was to give you a billboard and you could put anywhere, anything on it and have it anywhere in the world, what would you put on it and where would it be? Oh my gosh. That is a fantastic question. Um, because it's like, yeah, what is, what is your one message to the world? Uh, <laughs> I believe that mine would be just the philosophy of my coaching, which is this, you are the captain of your ship. Right. You are in charge. You know, are you, do you let the wind, well, this is off the billboard now. The billboard would say you are the captain, but the meaning is, you know, do you let life, do you let the wind just blow you wherever? Or do you, when the storm comes, do you grab that wheel and right. take charge and fight through it? But, and where would I put it? I would put it maybe on Highway 1 coming into Vancouver, which is gridlock. Actually, I just had a thought. Yeah. <laughs> if, if I could have one billboard that could say anything, I would put it on that damn highway one and it would say, slow drivers stay in the right lane. <laughs> right. <laughs> that is, if nothing makes me matter than trying to drive in uh, on any highway and having the left lane taken up by someone going slower than the rest of traffic in the right, right. lane. If I could give one message to the world, it would be on the highway, stay in that right lane. See, I thought you might say that you would want your billboard in Trafalgar Square because of your dancing in the fountain story that you shared earlier. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Well, wherever anyone could get it, wherever yeah. the message could be. But uh, yeah, I'm partial to Trafalgar Square. I love, I love it there and love England too. But goddamn, just stay, stay out of that left lane, please, people. <laughs> <laughs> That's my All message right. to the world. Um, and my last question for you: What's the best investment that you've ever made? And I'm oh not actually looking for a stock pick, but like the best investment. <laughs> well, I've made a couple of terrible stock investments <laughs> in this past year. So that's the last advice that I would actually give you. Um, investment. Oh my gosh. You asked really good questions, Brenda. Well, I'll, I'll give some credit to Tim Ferriss and his book. Okay. Um, um, it's the book of Titans. He has, uh, he asks these people like 13 questions. So, or 15 questions. So I go, okay. I go there or Vanity Fair, the last page of Vanity Fair always has really good questions. Yeah. Okay. Well, the best investment then I would say maybe of my initial thought was a pair of running shoes. Um, but my best investment is probably, um, 
just the time and focus that I give to my loved ones currently after many years of not, because when you're in active addiction, it, it was impossible for me to have a meaningful relationship. So the ones I'm in now, my investment is just giving them the time and, you know, receiving, receiving their love and giving it back in a, with a clear mind and an open heart. Love that. And maybe that sounded corny. I don't know, but it's kind of true. But you know. No, it's good. Corny's good, right? Because I think, well, personally, I feel like corny is like authentic, right? It's your most truest self. So. Yeah. And authenticity is something that is uh, so important to me, um, especially after all those years of living in an inauthentic way to myself. It's mm -hmm. something that I focus on now and what I look for in other people. And I get that sense out of you, even just having this conversation. Yeah, thanks. Authentic people can can attract each other. That's a great thing. Yeah, well, that's really um, my sort of closing message for you, but also for everyone listening is that's what the whole Three Uniques podcast is about is I believe fundamentally there's 7.7 .7 billion people on this planet and somebody needs what you've got. So be corny, be unique, mm -hmm. be authentic. Someone's going to need it. That was well said. And hey, thank you so much for having me. It was great to, to interact with you and... Um, have this conversation. Thanks for yeah. Me. Thank you so much too for showing up and sharing us, uh, sharing with us all your messages. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Brenda. Hi, friends. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's guest on the Three Uniques podcast. Uh, as always, we really appreciate your time and your commitment to listening to our guests every week, and we'd love for you to be able to share this podcast with others and encourage other people to get out there and share their three uniques. So please take a few moments to like, share this podcast, leave a review and let us know what you think. And also let us know who you'd like to hear more from, uh, what type of guests you want us to bring on for future podcast interviews. Thanks so much. Remember, get out there and share your three uniques. There's seven and a half billion people on this planet and somebody needs what you've got. Take care, friends.